For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Thursday, September 14th. At this point, the Disney Board of Directors' inability to pick a suitable successor for their CEO, Bob Iger, has kind of become a running joke in Hollywood and beyond. The guy was supposed to retire in 2013. That's 10 years ago. Then 2014. And then 2017. Twice that year, actually. And then in 2020, right as the pandemic was impacting the company's China theme parks, Iger abruptly announced that Bob Chapek would take over. In part because Iger and Susan Arnold, the board chair, thought that Chapek, who ran the parks division, would be cool with Iger's plan to stay on as executive chairman and run the, quote, creative aspects of the company for another 22 months, whatever that means. As we all know, that plan didn't work out. Iger wouldn't even give up his office. And he and Chapek clashed privately and at times contradicted each other publicly, most notably on the Florida Don't Say Gay Bill and an infamous New York Times piece where Iger said he was helping run the company during the pandemic. Chapek didn't love that. Chapek ended up getting fired last November and replaced with the old guy slash new guy, Bob Iger, who's now 72. But what was public about the Disney succession mess was only the tip of the iceberg. Alex Sherman at CNBC published a wild 11,000-word article last week revealing new details about the dysfunction of the Chapek tenure at Disney, a lot of it caused by Iger himself. There's a bunch of ridiculous details like Iger and Chapek both signing off on the infamous statement trashing Scarlett Johansson, each believing it was the other's responsibility. Dana Walden, the TV chief and Iger's neighbor in Brentwood, set up a fake walk date with Iger so he'd be available for the call to ask him back. And there was a whole saga about Disney's faltering earnings and Chapek's unwillingness to admit that the fortunes of the company were turning. That's all led to this situation that Iger and Disney find themselves in today. The stock price is down to about 83 bucks from a high of almost 200 during the pandemic. ESPN and the linear TV networks are in free fall. We all know that. While streaming still loses money. And Disney had a pretty bad summer at the box office. The first time that's happened in a long time. And guess what? Iger still isn't retiring. He just extended his tenure again to 2026. With a mandate, they mean it this time, to finally find someone else to run this company. Or some believe he'll just sell it, so he never has to pick a successor. Today, we've got Alex Sherman, and it's the Disney succession debacle. Iger's latest moves, and is there anyone else out there that can possibly run this company? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. 
All right, we are here with Alex Sherman, who's media reporter at CNBC and published a fantastic article last week on the Disney succession mess. Welcome, Alex. Happy to be here, Matt. Let's start with where we are in the succession race. We know that Iger has extended his tenure. He's going to be there until 2026. We know that there are no obvious internal candidates. There are people like Dana Walden, who runs the TV division, Jimmy Pitaro, who runs ESPN, Josh Demaro, who runs the Parks division. Those people are kind of sitting there and doing a good job, we are told. But each of them has fundamental weaknesses, things that they have not had experience doing. And there's the consultant guys, Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, who were once considered the heir apparents and left the company and you know were sort of passed over by Iger. And I reported a couple of weeks ago that they are now back consulting with the company on how to handle all these linear TV streaming questions. So those are the people we know. What don't we know about succession? Or what have you discovered about the succession race? I mean, it's certainly possible that there's an outside candidate. But if there is one other than those people you listed, I don't know who it is. And part of what I kind of go into in, our, in my story is that it really would have to be the right outside candidate to be able to win over the fairly thick Disney culture that already exists in the place to say, look, you know, I'm going to come in here from the outside and I'm going to let you guys kind of run this company and I'll learn over time and Bob Iger will help me. That person who came in, I would think, would have to have a fairly defined respect level from the get-go. So that person may exist. There may be some sort of person with the right level of uh, leadership gravitas who's also going to kind of be lockstep with Bob Iger for the X amount of time where the two of them exist at the same company, because that is the plan, as I reported. Iger, again, wants to stick around here, either as executive chairman or as CEO and name someone COO and have that person be the heir apparent. But that's kind of nuts to me. I'm surprised the board would allow that because as you have reported and others, like the first time that happened, it was a total disaster. I mean, part of the problem that Chapek had was that he had Iger sitting over his shoulder working on, quote, creative, whatever that meant, but still unwilling to give up his office, still having this 15 years of being CEO, the people around him and the culture and all the things that come along with someone. It's kind of impossible to do the job of replacing a giant when the giant won't leave the building. I mean, I would say you can take the criticism a step further and say, it's a little nuts to me that the Disney board brought back Bob Iger and then said, hey, you pick another successor again. This is the one thing that Bob Iger has really struggled to do, even pre-Bob JPEG. What it speaks to is a board that is more or less in a position, whether they like it or not, where they, they say, okay, Bob Iger is the guy that we know that can run this company, the modern Disney that Bob Iger built. And therefore, there's no one here on the board that we feel would be better at, at picking a successor than Bob Iger. So we're going to leave it to him again. Right. None of the board members actually have entertainment experience. That was kind of the problem as well. And Iger was involved in making sure that happened so that obviously he was the all important person on the board. And the thing is, it's not really Iger's job. It's the board's job. 
to do this. And they have this like quasi succession committee that is supposed to be spearheading this. From your reporting, are they doing anything? I do think they are. And I think Bob Iger is. In fact, I was told it kind of started happening from like the moment Bob Iger came back in November of 2022. Like it almost happened instantly. Let's talk about the candidates you mentioned, though, at least briefly, because I do think I learned a little bit around the edges of potential things that that could be useful through the reporting of this piece. Uh, I was told that Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs were brought back for consulting and not succession. Now, does that mean neither of them will become the CEO? No, not necessarily. Yeah, but I mean, what are they going to say? They can't say anything else. But let's try to think about logically both. Tom Staggs was lined up to be the CEO. And from what I'm told, he basically failed the audition. Kevin Mayer was denied the CEO job because of a multitude of reasons, I believe. He didn't have the right bedside manner. He didn't ever run anything of scale. So as much as Kevin and Tom may want to be the CEO, and I think that's certainly possible they both do, that strikes me as somewhat unlikely. So I think maybe the more likely scenario is that it is one of those internal candidates. And one thing that I learned in the reporting of this is that sort of the higher gun of Disney to transition Bob Iger back into the job of CEO was Dana Walden. So clearly the board has a relationship with Dana Walden that they chose her as the conduit here. Well, she's his neighbor in Brentwood. She's from that community that I call it the Toscana crowd, where the executives who live in Brentwood and have lunch at Toscana and like that is a circuit and they are in the same social circuit. So that would make sense. But so was Alan Bergman and they didn't choose Alan. That's true. Yeah. So that's one. And the other two people are Jimmy Picaro, who runs ESPN, as you mentioned, and Josh Tomorrow, who runs the parks. So I agree with you that both of those candidates have some obvious concerns, I would say, to take over the job. Jimmy Picaro might actually end up in a situation where he's the CEO of a spun-off ESPN. I could see that as his end game, rather than the CEO of Disney. Josh Tomorrow would again be going back to the well of picking a parks person after Bob Chapin. But Tomorrow doesn't have the requisite experience running the whole company, and that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, Tomorrow is really well-liked in the parks division. I know the Disney parks fans like him, and he's got that kind of demeanor where very Iger-like, where he can walk around the parks and people come up to him and they they love talking to him. But again, he's never made a film or a television show. And at the end of the day, Disney has this amazing content studio that has kind of hit a rough spot. They had a terrible summer at the box office and you know they're spending too much on streaming content. And like someone needs to come in there after Iger and be competent to make the tough calls on what they're spending on content and the kind of stuff that they're making. Yeah, the great irony here, if it would end up being tomorrow, would be Iger would have to teach him the creative side of the business, which was the exact plan with Bob Chapek that did not work. So if he went back to that exact same plan with Josh tomorrow, I'm not saying he wouldn't. Maybe he would. But there would certainly be irony there in that the lesson he learned from this whole disaster would be Let's do it the exact same way. Yeah. 
I know that's kind of my problem with the staying on thing. Let's talk a little bit about Iger and the board, because I think that relationship there is what is key to succession. And it's kind of funny. Iger has always said that he was surprised to be asked back and he had no intention of doing anything other than retiring and hanging out on his yacht and being an investor and doing some other plays. We know that's BS now. I reported the week before the announcement that Iger was hosting analysts and investors at his house, which you don't do unless you're in the game or wanting to get back in the game. So I want to push back on it a little bit. I think he was surprised that it laid out. I think that's all right. But but you give us what you report because you reported that Iger was a little bit more involved in the discussion with Disney executives and the board before he got that official call to come back. I think Iger was thinking about and maybe hoping he would come back maybe from the minute he gave up the job. Right. But I don't know that he thought it would happen this way because remember, Bob Chapek's contract was renewed in June of 2022 and then Chapek was fired in November of 2022. Yeah, but it was reluctantly renewed. Yeah, but, I mean, but the case- idea that this guy's contract would be renewed and then fired three and a half months later, I don't care how reluctant it was, that, that idea of renew, fire that quickly, that has got to be surprising to anyone. Bob Jpeg surprised, Bob Iger surprised, the board surprised. I don't think anyone would have thought that Bob Jpeg would be fired that quickly after his contract was renewed, even if it was renewed reluctantly. The renewal then led into this whole crazy debacle over the earnings call. And that is, I think, what was the tipping point. There was a quarterly earnings call that was coming up that you reported on, and Christine McCarthy announced in a meeting, apparently without telling Chapek in advance, that the numbers were going to be really bad and that they had to figure out some messaging on this. And Chapek sort of either didn't acknowledge it, didn't want to acknowledge it, or had a different interpretation of the numbers. And it went back and forth. There was this strategy session where he was petting a hippopotamus while they were trying to uh, figure out behind the scenes what to do about the earnings. They finally get on the earnings call. I listened to that earnings call, and it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen because he was sitting there talking about all these great things that are going on at Disney and the Oogie Boogie Bash at Halloween and how many tickets they'd sold for that. And the stock was going down, down, down because he like offhandedly mentioned that they were going to lose a billion dollars in streaming this quarter and miss all their numbers for the first time in a long time. So Christine McCarthy was right and Chapek was wrong. And if I'm on the board and I'm looking at this, I'm like, wait, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. So I agree that the catalyst was that earnings call. But what, what the nuance that I learned, which I never understood, and to be honest, it was maybe the main reason that I pursued this story because it doesn't make sense to me that one bad quarter would lead to the firing of the CEO. Companies have bad quarters all the time. like. That can't be why JPEG was let go. And I think the nuance that I picked up was it wasn't that the results were bad in the quarter. It was that JPEG lost the faith of the senior executive team in the run-up and then execution of this quarter. And the leadership felt like he was just not listening and that he was not exhibiting the skills needed of a CEO of Disney. And what ends up happening is that there's basically a coup d'etat. I mean, there's basically 
uh, one after another after another parade, including several executives like Christine Shockey, who's comms person, and Horatio Gutierrez, the general counsel, that Chapek handpicked. So you couldn't even write this thing off as, oh, these were a bunch of Bob Iger loyalists who had been stewing for years under Bob Chapek. And finally, they seized this opportunity to turn against them. No, these were actually some of his own handpicked employees that came to the board and said, you know what? This guy's not listening to us. And when you combine that with the fact that there was a September board meeting, a run-up to that November earnings call, where in front of the board, Christine McCarthy kind of blindsides Bob Chapek and starts talking about the business in these really blunt terms. This is going to be the worst quarter in 10 years that Chapek is totally unfamiliar with. Like that he had not gone over these types of figures or estimates. With yeah, why did she before. do that? Did she do that to essentially embarrass him and let the board know exactly what she knew about this guy and not let him paper it over with spin or with preparation? Did she essentially knife him in the back? Depends on your perspective. I'm told that from McCarthy's perspective, the idea was to jar Chapek back into reality by <laughs> doing this publicly. In other words, she tried privately multiple times. At right, point right. That's the key this fact. was going to be bad. And then it wasn't working, so she decided this tactic will force him. I think the Team Chapek perspective might be she knifed me in the back. She turned on me for you name your reason. I don't know. I mean, I, I heard all sorts of wild speculation, none of which I could confirm. So I do think it depends on your perspective, but let's buy the argument that she did it to jar him into reality. It still didn't work. And instead, what happened was now in a public setting, the board was staring at a CEO and a CFO who clearly were not on the same page. So the board was almost forced into a decision. Like, you can't just keep going forward being like, well, these two uh, leaders of our company are clearly not talking to each other or sharing the right figures. So, like, let's just go on with our day. So to some degree, by doing that, I think McCarthy started the path toward a big decision needing to be made by the Disney board. And obviously, the decision that they made was to fire Chip. So do you think that these other executives, Dana Walden, Josh Jamaro, Christine McCarthy, Christina Shockey, the kind of the Chapek lieutenants, do you think they all banded together? Like there was some like, you know, entourage style, meet me at a hamburger hamlet and we'll talk about how we're going to take down the boss. Or do you think that this was all individual Coincidental, they all kind of expressed their concerns to the board. Or do you think the board was reaching out to them saying, hey, like, is this the guy? Like, I know we just renewed him, but we're having some questions about him. Give us your honest feedback on him. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this. One. I don't have a guess. Uh, and the answer is all of the above. <laughs> Except for the hamburger Hamlet part. I don't think they exist anymore. Yeah. The board reached out. Individuals started meeting with the board privately in a non collusion type way. But also, Iger, in private conversations, told some of the senior leaders, like, hey, 
There's nothing I can do here. Like, I can't just come back. But if you want to express concerns with Bob Chapek, the advice I would give you is do it en masse. Do it together. Because that's how you will be most effective. Well, that was my next question. Is it all coming back to Iger? You know, he was out there doing the lunches, doing the Laker games, doing all the things that he does. And he is, a, you know, a man about town. He People hung out with him. From everything I've heard, when you got him sitting down at a lunch or, or dinner, it was just nonstop bitching about what was going on at Disney. And, you know, he's, his voice carries weight. And I think ultimately those people probably did take their cues from what Iger was saying about JPEG. Yeah, I mean, this is what you're sort of asking, I think, is, well, why did Bob Iger come back? And like, I think there's two very real reasons about why he came back. One is this guy loves being the Disney CEO and all of its perks. And no matter how bad it gets as Disney CEO, he'll still like being Disney CEO. So people uh, I don't know, know lately. People, <laughs> people love to say on Twitter, like, whoa, why did he come back? And like even Bob Iger, from my understanding, is you know, sort of like, oh, you know, I do want to retire and there's other things I want to do with my life, and I don't want to do this job forever. But like, come on. Like again, like it, it strains credulity to be like this guy doesn't want to be the Disney CEO and now he's stuck in no he came back because he wants to be the Disney CEO but just as important as that I think is he felt guilty about how things went down with Bob Chapek and he also thought it looked bad on him he was like you know what I'm going to go down in history as this guy that kind of didn't get the succession right again uh, and this kind of totally blew up on me in a way I didn't see so let me come back to the company. Let me right this wrong. Let me get it right the next time. And then when I go away, at least people, I hope, will say, you know what? Like, he got succession right again. Yeah, it's like Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. Doesn't matter how great the record is. You want that one thing that you've never had and that, that people can always use against you. But it's interesting because if you then do the math, this is all Iger engineering his own return to the throne because if the board was acting at the insistence of the staff and the staff was acting at the insistence of Iger, then the board is acting quasi at the insistence of its old CEO. So again, the, the, the one little nuance there that I would say, there's a line in my story that in fact, it's the lead illustration of the story, which is Bob Chapek is driving a bus and Bob Iger is the passenger trying to get to the steering wheel and he can't. From Iger's perspective, this was not Iger's insistence on how do I get back in the job. It was the reverse of that. It was all of these Disney employees begging Bob Iger to come back to the job. And then Iger, out of his own you know, responsibility or guilt or whatever, saying, fine, I'll come back. Now, what is the truth there? Like, is it in the middle? Like, maybe. You know, uh, but I do think that was, in fact, happening. That where many employees were going to him and saying, "Keep come back." Yeah, you get the throne; it's hard to give up. I mean, bottom line. But um, all right, so now he finds himself in, as you mentioned, this situation where the company is not the company that he left. The stock is way down. There aren't any real obvious answers. The playbook that he has been playing so far seems to be a version of the playbook that he had before. We don't know if that will work. The plans for ESPN, bringing in an investor, the plans for the linear networks, putting them up for sale in the CNBC interview. 
And we don't know if there are any takers for some of those linear networks. He's now got the cable carriage distributors openly revolting against the the network owners. And and Disney is the biggest and most powerful of those because it has ESPN. He's got to figure out how to stem the streaming losses. And there's a lot of fires he's putting out. He's got to buy that stake in Hulu and everything he does to prop up the streaming bundle right now is only increasing the potential price that he's going to have to pay Comcast to buy the rest of Hulu. A lot of fires, a lot of things coming at him. Do you really think that Iger is the right guy for the modern, urgent problems at Disney right now? This is the question that I think the board grapples with too, which is, even if he isn't, who is? That that would be my question, which would be like, well, who would be the proper replacement? Well, there's a whole line of thinking that even those problems aside, that Chapek was doing the kinds of things that may have ultimately worked. You know, he was, if he had been given more time, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with this, because I think there are other problems Chapek had that kind of sabotaged him. But from a business strategy perspective, perhaps the Chapek plan of consolidating and having the distribution run separately and focusing on the streaming business at the expense of the traditional film and television business, perhaps that was a better plan to evolve this company and that Iger has in many ways gone retro and put power back to the creatives, betting on theaters, betting on some of these content hubs that they've had like Marvel, Star Wars, and that taking that power away and doing what Chapek did would have been the better strategy. Yeah. So let, let me a- try to answer that in a couple of different ways because like I'm just a reporter. So like I, I don't know who the best media executive is going to be. Like they, those people are much smarter than I am in terms of answering that question. True, but you've just talked to 25 of them. I can give you two theories, maybe. Here's the first one, which is that I think there is a plausible narrative that in hindsight, Bob Iger's decision to go all in on Disney streaming in late November 2019, this instant success for Disney, in hindsight, was the death knell of the legacy media industry, including Disney. You could certainly make that argument. You could say by going all in on streaming, what Bob Iger ended up doing was turning ESPN from a $100 billion business to a $15 billion business and sort of ruining the guts of his own company because in the end, the total addressable market for streaming subscribers was nowhere near $800 million, but much, much lower. And so the whole system didn't work. And maybe Disney never had the right philosophy behind this move to begin with. Yeah, or launch a streamer, but don't go all in at the expense of everything else. Yeah, exactly. And maybe, and maybe don't price it so low or, you know, price it much higher initially and get people used to paying higher prices so you can get the profitability quicker. Right. And have it be a receptacle, basically, for Disney content and a place to go for the movies and for things that have already been exploited on your other provably profitable platforms down the line, essentially a home video service rather than a television replacement. Here's the second argument, which is if you take a look at Disney stock and you take a look at Netflix's stock and you see what's happened in the past year, Netflix has bounced back after a horrible 2022 where the entire valuation was totally decimated. That company has come soaring back. 
Disney's valuation plummeted and it has not come soaring back, you could at least make an argument, and this goes back to Bob Chapek's theory, that the Disney plan, forget that ter- terrible fourth quarter of 2022, fiscal fourth quarter for Disney. What Disney should have done is just said, we're in this for the long term. We told you there would be losses. We're still all in streaming. We're still going to compete with Netflix. And this is just a small bump in the road. We're not going to retrench. We know the losses are there. We still believe that there is maximum, you know, uh, uh, the, the ceiling on uh, global take of our streaming services is going to be there. And we're going to ride through this long term. Maybe if that was their message, their stock would end up looking more like Netflix's stock, which has bounced back. And it's possible that this general legacy media movement, which goes to Warner Brothers Discovery and other companies of saying, no, we need to make this thing profitable as quickly as possible. We can't keep taking these losses. Maybe that strategy is just too short term. And that actually is the wrong strategy. And it's the one that's been put in place by Bob Iger. So you could criticize Iger both ways in different ways back in 2019 or back in 2022. And I think you'd have valid arguments. Does that mean this guy shouldn't be the CEO? No, not necessarily. You could also point to a lot of different successes Bob Iger has had before that. But does it at least give you pause if this guy is maybe the not the right CEO? Like, yeah, sure, I think that's valid. Yeah, I don't know about that argument because Netflix is profitable. And that's what the street is responding to. If the push by investors is for profitability and streaming. But but Netflix wasn't profitable for many years. You got to get... No, I know. But I'm just saying, if, if the thinking has switched from scale at all costs to profitability, Netflix can make that argument and Disney cannot. So they are taking steps to move towards profitability and not just scale. So I don't know. It's a tough one. I know as a reporter, you don't love to make predictions, but I'm going to make you do it anyways. It's 2026. Who are the heir apparents at Disney? I mean, again, my guess would be... And I say plural. I say plural because I'm belying my own um, belief here because I actually think what Iger will do is he will appoint two heir apparents. I think he will have a creative one and a business one, and they will, at least at the beginning, run the company together, maybe with oversight from him. And then one of them will be chosen or they'll just run it together. Okay, well, well, that's good. because I can firmly say I do not think that will. I think that, if anything, the lesson of the Bob Chapek era will be do not put two people in charge of this company. Make sure that that is well-defined. If they if they put two people in charge of this company, I just think, like, just start writing Harvard case Harvard Business Case Study immediately. Like, the proper <laughs> lessons were not learned here. There should be a very clear era apparent, and this time, Bob Iger should go at the end of 2026. I think that's what will happen. I think someone will be named COO, I think Bob Iger will stay as CEO rather than move to executive chairman. And that person, Bob Iger, will have done every possible vetting technique they can come up with to make sure that that person will be in lockstep with Bob Iger until Bob Iger leaves the company. Yeah, maybe. Or there's two of them, and then one is eventually chosen. But then you get into a bake-off situation. Yeah, I just think the Disney board will run as far away from any sort of uh, leadership conflict as it can. They're going to try whatever they can to make this as smooth as possible, given what's happening. Right. All right, Alex Sherman, thanks again. Great piece. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, do you get excited for these Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie movies? 
I mean this in the best way possible. This is a movie my parents will watch in three months and text me and say it was pretty good. Right. No, I think that's what these are. But yeah, and, and obviously they're kind of riding the Knives Out phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Knives Out was sort of a ripoff of the Agatha Christie style novel, but now the Agatha Christie movies are sort of a ripoff of Knives Out. Uh, but we got a new one this weekend, A Haunting in Venice, which has Kenneth Branagh and uh, kind of a cool cast like Tina Fey, Michelle Yeoh. But I don't know about this one. The tracking is 13 million. And the last one that they released, which was in 2022, Death on the Nile, that opened to 13. The problem was with that one, it had Army Hammer as the star, and he sort of like was had to be minimized after his uh, cancellation. And it ended up grossing 130 worldwide, kind of a disappointment. The previous one, Murder on the Orient Express, which is obviously her most famous novel, that one ended up grossing 350 worldwide. I did see that one in theaters. I liked the original, and I wanted to see how they followed it up. Yeah, Disney inherited this from Fox, this franchise, and it's kind of surprising they let Brenna make another one of these. So I'm going to take the over on 13. I think that if the last one only got to 13 with Army Hammer in it, I think this one, without that stink, will uh, perform a little bit better. I mean, there is nothing in theaters right now. I know. Well, Dumb Money is doing a platform release, the GameStop movie in New York and L.A., and then there's holdovers from The Nun from last week and Equalizer 3, both of which overperformed. So I think that the theaters, they're just all sitting there waiting for October with The Exorcist and Taylor Swift. Those are going to be gigantic. So you're taking the over. Yeah, I'm going to take the over, even though like I kind of don't care. (laughs) Does anyone really care about these? (laughs) <laughs> I feel like they need to age down the cast. Like if they just uh, having Kenneth Branagh and Tina Fey and stuff is fine, but they should try to to age down here and put some younger stars. In well, there. that's what Knives Out did. They had Ana de Armas, your favorite, and they had Chris uh, Evans. <laughs> right. All right. Enough talking about this. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, <laughs> Alex Sherman, producer Craig Holbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>